There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in We still don't know who pulled the trigger. everyone and welcome to police off the cuff real crime stories i'm your host retired nypd sergeant 27 year veteran bill cannon and with me tonight we have a very interesting guest another retired nypd member of the service lieutenant mike riley who also happens to be an assemblyman from the 62nd assembly district in staten island but he's got a bunch of stories from albany some of them you would not believe but uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to stay with some of those stories tonight the topic tonight is uh, last Thursday, I believe it was the 23rd, the Supreme Court uh, made a decision on the open carry rule, and it infuriated a lot of people. Uh, this sort of came out of uh, left field for a lot of libs. I'll use that word lib, but a lot of people that are anti-gun, uh, it came out of left field, like for this lady up on the uh, screen right now, uh, Governor Hochul. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled on Thursday that Americans have a broad right to arm themselves in public, striking down a New York law that placed strict limits on carrying guns outside the home and setting off a scramble in other states that have similar restrictions. The decision is expected to spur a wave of lawsuits seeking to loosen existing state and federal restrictions and will force five states, California, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, and New Jersey, home to a court of, of all Americans to rewrite their laws. I mean, obviously, uh, in New York, they're, they're wigging out. They don't like uh, legal guns in New York. They don't like guns, period, but especially legal guns. It's all right if you're a criminal and you want to use a gun in New York. that They won't fight you on that. But if you're a law-abiding citizen who seeks to get a gun carry permit, it's been persona non grata for years They've had some arbitrary reasons that you could get it, like you're a business owner that deposits X amount of dollars in cash in the in the bank, and then and only then would they consider whether or not you could in fact get a carry permit. Mike, am I uh, on the right track here? Oh, you are, Bill, and thanks for having me. I appreciate you inviting me on. It's you great. Are. You know something? I don't look. This is probably one of the worst times to talk about gun control. What's happening across the country? Uh, we had the Buffalo active shooting at the top supermarket. We had the Uvalde, Texas. And then we just had the most recent one uh, outside of Chicago, which is just horrendous. So when you talk about open carry, it's probably a bad timing on the Supreme Court's um, decision-making timing. But nonetheless, uh, the law is the law. Well, and that's and that's a key factor that people don't realize, that the case was brought before the federal courts, and it made its way to the United States Supreme Court. And their job was to evaluate the New York state law based on that lawsuit. And what they determined was that it was all about equity, right? The equity, and I, I talked about this on the floor during my debate, it's about equity. And the, the issue becomes, you nailed it uh, earlier when you talked about there was a prerequisite that someone had to prove uh, that they needed a substantial circumstance to get a concealed carry permit. Now, New York, 
historically has made it where if you had a business and you were making bank drops, say of $15,000, that was the circumstance that they would provide you a concealed carry permit. The problem becomes those people who wanted to have a concealed carry because they lived maybe in a high crime area, they didn't have a, a business, say it was an electrician that just wanted a union electrician that just wanted to protect his family. Well, he wouldn't have that special circumstance uh, that was in the the law in New York uh, before Scottis uh, overturned it, and he would be denied. And it comes down to that we had an inequity uh, where people couldn't practice their Second Amendment right uh, based on that. You know, Mike, I want to play a little bit. You interviewed a um, uh, someone from the other side of the aisle in regards to this law, and one of the very things that we expect as citizens, as voting citizens of this state and of this country, is competency from our elected officials. And we're getting far from that. This guy who you interviewed, to me, is a moron. And you know something? If you're, if a legislator is a lawmaker, how do you not know the law? How do you have the balls not to know the law if that's what you do? You're a lawmaker. I mean, to me, it's almost like a carpenter not knowing how to hammer a nail. And it's just horrendous to me. Horrendous. And, you know, this video will speak for itself. And we'll play a little bit of this. And uh, maybe you let me play it here. Thank you, Mr. Dinowitz. So the first thing I wanted to ask about is the Federal Law Enforcement Safety Act and retired uh, members of law enforcement. In this legislation, it requires... Uh, for those applying for a concealed carry permit to take a 16-hour class and two hours of live fire range training courses. So I just wanted to get it on the record. Uh, Since retired law enforcement officers already uh, took that training, and if they are qualified under Federal Law Enforcement Safety Act, also known as H.R. 218, they get qualified every year. Would this... 16-hour requirement, uh, would they be exempt from that? They would be, yes. Can you say that again? Yes. Thank you. So I just wanted to get that clarified for the record because it doesn't clearly state that in the bill. Uh, But they are, but the retired law enforcement officers are exempt from the sensitive location, correct? There's a carve out for them? Okay. So... One of the other things I wanted to talk about with, with the sensitive location is what streets will define Times Square? I believe the city of New York would define that. So we are deferring to another municipality, the law that is about to be created by the state legislature? Yes. Have we ever done that before? Probably. Can you give me an example of that? I I can't, but I'm sure we have. So there. So what if they said that Times Square was the whole island of Manhattan? Would that be okay to this? Mike, could you imagine testifying in court as a police officer with the crap that this guy's delivering? He's an elected official. Yeah. He he has no examples of it, but he's sure that it's been done. He's going to let the city of New York define what are the geographical parameters of Times Square? Are you out of your mind? I'd yeah, love to yeah. say, you know, when I was grilled on the stand by Jacobian Myers, officer, can you tell me 
you know, the what corner did you arrest my client on? I'm going to let the city define that as to what is Times Square. Are you out of, I mean, that pathetic. That is pathetic. He's yeah. a lawmaker. I mean, what, what's ironic is when, uh, you know, I, I know uh, the area thoroughly. I, that's where I was a, a police officer in Midtown North. And I know that Times Square can be defined as 8th Avenue to 6th Avenue from 35th Street to Columbus Circle uh, during New Year's Eve festivities. So basically, uh, we're talking about uh, a mile or two uh, that they can define. And, you know, when it comes to the the streets that they would say. So I think the open endedness and it's it's just there's no. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, we If we're going to define what the law is in the state of New York, then the state legislature should have made it clear what they determined to be that perimeter. Look, they define what the what night is. The period they, they define exactly the hours that make it night, right? The yep. periods between sunrise and sunset, and they give you the exact hours. But this guy can't define what Times Square is. I mean, he should be fired just for that. I mean, that is the most stupid thing I have ever heard. I hope he's listening because he's a moron. And I mean, I it just it's pathetic. These are the people making decisions for the citizens of New York City. The state legislature? Why would you think they would say that? Times Square is Times Square. Everybody knows Times Square. Well, do you consider Times Square is Times Square? He's baffled. He's baffled this idiot. Yeah. So is well, except me, I never leave the Bronx, so I, I can't give you a good. Uh, so is Forty Seventh Street and Broadway considered Times Square? You know how I would define Times Square, but I'm not the city of New York. I would define Times Square as the place where all the people gather on December 31st. But that's one hell of a definition. I would define Times Square as a place where people gather on New Year's Eve to celebrate New Year's. That's his definition. I'd like yeah. to see him try to sell that to a law firm that's, yeah. you know, that, that's suing the city. And that's, exa and that's exactly why I raised in debate that it can go all the way to Columbus Circle because we know at on New Year's Eve, that's where our barriers are set up for, and that's where the pens are. That's just me. But the city of New York, I'm sure, has a could come up with a very specific and reasonable definition of what constitutes Times Square. So, well, that's the crossroads of America, right? Where Broadway and Seventh Avenue code, they, they come across each other, right? So Times Square, where the ball drops, Forty Second Street between Seventh and Broadway, right there, right? But Times Square may be defined as Eighth Avenue to Sixth Avenue, from Thirty Sixth Street to Forty Seventh Street. What are we looking at? Well, we need to be a little more definitive, I think. I, I think first they would have to, they would have to have signs. Secondly, it is the crossroads of the world. Okay, here I got it. The area. You know, Mike, he's referring to the city as an entity, uh, they as they, but he's a politician that represents the city. Shouldn't he be saying we, or this, or, or or speak more personally? He's saying they as if the city. Is an agency that's going to define a geographical area for the purpose of gun control. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to notice Times Square as such area is determined and identified by the city of New York, provided that such area shall be clearly and conspicuously identified with signage, which is what I just mentioned. They have to have uh, signs. Okay, so if they go, so in your opinion, since you're uh, debating the legislation, if the city determined 
that Columbus Circle, 59th Street and 8th Avenue, is now Times Square, would that be acceptable? You know, it, it's hard to respond to what I stated on Take This the Wrong Way, but a pretty absurd hypothetical. Times Square is Times Square, and it's, it's a very limited area. But The only thing that's absurd is that this guy's been elected to any office. I, so, this yeah. is painful. This is painful to listen to. You know, but, what, you know Mike, but what I want to explain to our listeners is that you were trying to get him to define an area that was ruled as a sensitive area for the purpose of having an open carry, correct? Yes, but by having the concealed carry permit, yes, absolutely. Right, so they're trying to make Times Square a sensitive area so that they can remove it from an area that would be acceptable to be able to uh, to have an open carry. Is that correct? Yeah, so they would they would by defining Times Square and letting the city determine where that's going to be and place their signs, they can basically say that any lawful gun owner who has a concealed carry permit would not be able to carry their gun in that area. Uh, so, and we still to this day don't know where that area is going to be. And you know, or if the legal uh, gun permit holder used his firearm in that area. And even if the use of that firearm was lawful, he could be arrested for illegal possession of that firearm in that area, correct? Yeah, you know, something that was brought to my attention, and I wish I would have clarified this on debate. You know, if you have a, a bar owner or a business owner in that area, if they have a concealed carry permit, right, to for their business, this would automatically exclude them from having that weapon on them while they're at their business, if they're, if they're located within the definition of where New York City defines Times Square. Yeah, because it's so vague, because you know something? If anyone in this world, any profession in this world is not vague, it's attorneys. And clearly this guy's not an attorney. Clearly he does not know the law he at is. all. He is. He's a, the, that guy's got a law degree? He's an attorney. Yes, he is. Oh, my God. He should return yes, he that law degree, you know? So I, I'll tell you, one of the things that he said, he asked about absurd. You know, he called my question and uh, absurd, right? Far too often, you know, I've said this on the floor while I'm debating legislation, that we're so worried about being first in New York that we fail to be the best. And what I mean by that is I say all the time, the words on paper don't transition to the street, the courtroom or everyday life the way it's intended. And I say, if we just slowed down and you actually had a real conversation with me and others that can actually raise some issues that could make the legislation better, we'd be in a better place. You know, there, there, was, another, there was another bill not too long ago about filming police offices. I asked the sponsor of the legislation. I said, listen, can we at least put a buffer zone in, make it 20 feet, 15 feet, and make sure that someone doesn't come into that zone of safety to protect the police officer and protect the person that's interacting with the police officer. They came back to me and said, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to do that. I'm like, but you're actually inviting people to obstruct governmental administration. You're going to cause more problems than solving them. You know, Mike, this is the same legislature that gave us the diaphragm law that was instrumental in getting rid of qualified immunity, the hits continue. And when a, when a higher court um, passes a law like this, th th let me show you um, 
Governor Hochul's Governor Hogel's reaction to this. Hang on one second. Uh, I'm going to show you her reaction. And uh, she's absolutely shocked. Absolutely. And then we'll talk about why she's so absolutely shocked. But uh, this was her reaction. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. That they have taken away our right to have reasonable restrictions. We can have restrictions on speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. But somehow there's no restrictions allowed on the Second Amendment. This is New York. We don't back down. We fight back. And we'll be alerting the public, the media, in the very short term, exactly what our language that we've been analyzing. We have language we'd like to now enact into law. We'll be sharing that with the leaders. And I'm sorry this dark day has come. This is the same governor. Go ahead, Mike. Just to clarify that, when she, when she said they had bill language that they were ready to go with, they called us up to be in Albany at 12 p.m. on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, we they sprinted. We didn't have bill language at 3.45 in the a.m. on Friday. They told us to go to bed and come back at 9 a.m. We didn't start voting on it or see the language until Friday at 1 p.m. That is that that goes to show you that it's dysfunctional. Yeah, I mean, they they sprinted to Albany and they couldn't write the law quickly enough to try to thwart what the uh, Supreme Court, the law that they had just written, the Supreme Court did. And and they just it, it's it's unbelievable. But, you know, one one of the point that I wanted to make, Mike, is that Hochul wants to do nothing about bail reform. We have little gangbangers shooting people every night in this city. There's one guy who the LBA, the Lieutenant's Benevolent Association, tracked. He's been arrested five times this year for a firearm. Five times, and he's been released every time on bail. You bring that up to Governor Hochul, and she'll do a tap dance right in front of you. It's pathetic, oh, these people. And, and, you know, they won't do anything about criminals. And you know what? That's the, the second, my second part of it, don't get me started, is it's not, they believe that it's the gun. It's the fault of the gun, not the person that pulls the trigger. You'll even hear Eric Adams say, the iron pipeline. They, that's a bunch of horse shit. And then he, he'll bring up ghost guns. How about the guy pulling the trigger, Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul? They don't want to bring that up. Yeah. One of the things that I keep bringing up in all our debates when it comes to violence and firearms and guns, and I brought it up in this debate that you had on later on in it, I asked, is there anything in the legislation that fixes raise the age where you have a 16 and 17-year-old that has a loaded firearm? If they don't display that firearm or use that firearm to commit a crime, if the individual, the 16 and 17-year-old is stopped and a gun is recovered from their waistband and it's loaded, they go to family court. Family court. We know that that's not punitive. We know that doesn't hold them accountable. So I keep I keep asking, will we adjust raise the age? Will we adjust bail reform? And they refuse to. They refuse to really go after the criminals. You know, there's a mentality in Albany 
that they don't care about victims. They care about criminals. And that's what we're seeing. You know, I've, I've raised it at least 15 times. I've introduced legislation that would hold 16 and 17 year olds accountable. If they have a loaded firearm, they would be automatically sent to youth part criminal court. Right now, that doesn't happen. They automatically go to family court. You look, uh, the Manhattan DA, he caved that when he came on, he gave that 10 page manifesto where he tried to make robbery first degree with a gun if the firearm wasn't used, if she, they, no one got shot, he tried to make that a misdemeanor till everyone went nuts and all of a sudden, oh, well, I really didn't mean that. I mean, it, that is pathetic. First of all, a district attorney is not allowed to change the law. You know what I mean? And that's what he was trying to do. A robbery yeah, first remember, degree. District attorneys are just like us. They took When we were on the job, we took an oath to defend the Constitution and uphold the laws. And unfortunately, when you don't do that, you're doing it's a dereliction of your duty. I want to show you Eric Adams's response to this uh, also. He had a, a typical uh, response that was consistent with the rest of the, uh, the Democrats. We can say with certainty, uh, this decision has made every single one of us less safe from gun violence. The decision ignores the shocking crisis of gun violence every day, engulfing not only New York, but engulfing our entire country. The opinion claims to be based on nation historical past, but does not account for the reality of today. It ignores the presence and it endangers our future. While nothing changes today, and we want to be clear on that, nothing changes today. We have been preparing for this decision and will continue to do everything possible to work with our federal, state, and local partners to protect our city. We will collaborate with other mayors, municipality leaders, and governors, and will leave no unturned stone as we seek to undo and mitigate the damage that we are witnessing today. Those efforts would include a comprehensive review with the Corporation Council, our Chief Council, and other legal experts to assist us in this matter. As we start to define sensitive locations when carrying a gun is banned and reviewing our application process to ensure that only those who are fully qualified can obtain a carry license. This is something that the police commissioner who's joining me today will ensure that our licensing division is aware of. We will work together to limit the risk this decision will create once it is implemented. And we cannot allow New York to become the wild, wild west. That is unacceptable. This decision is created. We will not allow our city to live in fear that everyone around us is armed and that any altercation could evolve into a shootout. We will not allow the men and women of the police department to be subject, subjected to further danger, making their already difficult jobs even more harrowing. And let me be, say this again. We will do everything in our power, using every legal resource available to ensure the gains we've seen during this administration are not undone. And 
that New Yorkers are not put in greater, greater danger of gun violence. There is no place in the nation that this decision affects as much as New York City. There is no place in the nation that is going to be impacted based on this decision more than New York City. There's no place in the nation that the decision affects as much as New Yorkers. And we are prepared to set an example that will lead the country of how do we fight back on this decision. Today's Supreme Court decision may have opened an additional river that is going to feed the sea of gun violence in our city and in our nation. Now is the time for every elected official who cares about the safety of all Americans to come together and respond thoroughly and comprehensively to this appalling decision. Our work begins now to start saving New Yorkers and Americans. Please, Commissioner. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. As the mayor said, this case has been remanded back to the lower court. So the important thing to know today is that nothing changes. If you have a premise permit, it does not automatically convert to a carry permit. If you carry a gun illegally in New York City, you will be arrested. Nothing changes today. And that's important for everyone to be aware of. When we open the universe of carry permits, it potentially brings more guns to the city of New York and to the streets of New York City. And that should concern us all. Mr. Mayor. So, Mike, you know, they're concerned with legal carry permits, but there doesn't seem to be much concern with illegal gun owners who are shooting up the city like we've never seen before, like we haven't seen since the 80s. But oh, he's absolutely. worried about, you know, he's worried about legal gun permit holders. Yeah, you know, during that debate with Den with Assemblyman Dinowitz, I actually gave him some stats. And, you know, there were 700 victims year to date to June 29th at midnight. 729 victims of shootings in New York City. There were 2,000 guns recovered. I asked him, do you know how many were actually concealed, committed by concealed carry permit holders and how many guns were recovered from them. Of course, he couldn't answer it, but the real answer is zero. Zero guns recovered from concealed carry permit holders, zero criminals that were concealed carry permit holders. You know, another interesting fact, and we talk about not being serious about crime, right? In the Bronx, there was just, there was just an evaluation done about the sentencing for those who commit crimes in possession of illegal firearms. The average sentence for someone in the Bronx where Assemblyman Dinowitz covers for having an illegal firearm, the sentence was five months. You know, if you're going to be serious about fighting firearms, gun crimes, go after the illegal gun holders. Those lighting up our city lighting up our state being soft on crime isn't you know mike one of the things that says so much to me is they they have a position called a gun czar what an absolute horseshit that is who is this person usually he's a former criminal former gangbanger what hours does he work how much does he get paid what is he actually doing i want to know that because no one is questioning that 
Oh, the gun czar? What does the gun czar do? Is there any statistics that shows that what this gun czar does works? Because that's how you determine all successful programs. Statistics. So since we started doing this, gun crime and shootings have gone down. What does the gun czar do? I want to know that. Yeah, well, you know, that I that's what happened during the debate, right? I gave them data, real data that they can see, tangible numbers, and they couldn't answer it. You know, gun czars, the gun czar, what is he doing? That's like the violence interrupters, right? Violence that's that's, interrupters. that's the same it's damn program. Same idiots. They're not, they're not really stopping the shootings. We're seeing them happen all across the city, all across the state. I'll tell you what it is. It's a it's a um an attempt to give someone a job that doesn't have one. And it's just giving people to our tax dollars that have no business. I mean, I would really like to question the mayor. How does that program work? Do you have a statistic, statistics yeah, what, that show it works? And what qualifies him to be a gun czar? Well, yeah, exactly. Oh, because he was once a gangbanger himself. Yeah, and, and that's maybe, that's pathetic. Yep, absolutely. You know, I just want the other night. Uh, this was a horrendous incident on the Upper East Side. I think it was on the the, the 29th, A twenty-year-old woman um, wheeling a three-month-old baby was basically executed on the streets of the Upper East Side. I think it was 95th Street. The Upper East Side, of course, as we know, is probably one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the entire the entire world, the entire country, the entire world. So when someone gets shot on the Upper East Side, it shakes the core of the entire neighborhood. However, anyone that's ever done any kind of investigation, when you hear that story, 20-year-old woman, at a certain hour, wheeling a three-month-old baby, someone comes up to her and shoots her right in the head point blank. You don't have to be a genius investigator to know that the person who shot her is known to her. Yeah. It's known to her. And probably there's a, about an 80 to 90 to 100% chance that it's the baby's father. I predicted that second one of that case. I want to yeah. show you the press conference they had and where, where Adam starts talking about the iron pipeline and ghost guns. How did th that case transition to the iron pipeline and ghost guns? It had nothing to do with it. I had absolutely nothing. But, you know, they want to get mileage out of things, and it's dishonest. It's dishonest that they do this. Yep. Kenneth Corey and Captain Allen from Detective Borough Manhattan North. I want to remind you the information I'm about to give you is preliminary as this incident is only two hours old. Earlier this evening, at approximately 8.23 p.m., officers responded to a report of a person shot opposite 164 East 95th Street. Upon arrival, officers discovered a 20-year-old female who was unconscious with a gunshot wound to her head. EMS responded to the scene, transported the victim to Metropolitan Hospital, where she was pronounced deceased at 9.20 p.m. Our preliminary investigation revealed that the 20-year-old victim was pushing an approximately three-month-old in a baby stroller on East 95th Street when an unknown person approached her and fired a single shot into her head from a very close range. Immediately after the shooting, the suspect fled the scene on foot, heading eastbound on East 95th Street. He is described as a male who was last seen wearing a hooded sweatshirt, sweatpants, and black pants, all black. At this time, there are no arrests, and I'm urging anyone who has information that can help us with this investigation to please call us at 1-800-577-TIPS. All tips will be kept strictly confidential. I'll pass it now to the mayor. 
Commissioner, <clears throat> I'm joined here with uh, Councilman Powers and Councilwoman Menon, who both represent uh, parts of Manhattan. This is Councilman Powers' district. Uh, earlier today, the police commissioner and I were uh, with the attorney general uh, talking about ghost guns. Later in the day, we were with the U.S. How did this case segue into ghost guns? How? Tell me that. How did this become about ghost guns? Senator, Senator Gillibrand uh, talking about gun trafficking. Uh, this entire day, we have been addressing the problem of the overproliferation of guns on our street, how readily accessible they are, and how there is a just uh, no fear in using these guns on innocent uh, New Yorkers. And this is the result of that. These are real story, real lives. Uh, when a mother's pushing a baby carriage down the block or an individual, a woman is pushing a baby carriage down the block and is shot in point blank range, it shows just how this national problem is impacting families. And it doesn't matter if you are on the Upper East Side or East New York, Brooklyn. The oversaturation of guns and dangerous people that repeatedly leave our criminal justice system to continue actions like this, it is what's making the New York City Police Department and other law enforcement agencies here in New York across the country and across the country are difficult to fight this issue. We're going to continue to do our job. Uh, 3,300 guns removed off our streets. That we're not allowed to hurt innocent people. We're going to continue to move forward. But we do need help from Washington, from the state, from our criminal justice system. We have been clear on that. We're going to find this person that's guilty of this horrific crime. We're going to find him and bring him to justice. We need the justice system to make sure this innocent person received that justice that we're asking for. So he got some political mileage out of a situation that was a domestic violence incident. And uh, my prediction minute one was true. The whole thing was true. It was the baby's father. And he came and he killed the baby's mother. So uh, I well, you, think the go ahead. You know, you know what the problem is. What they what they lack to say. You know, the the striking thing that we never hear from them. The atmosphere that they created in the city, in the state, across the country, that the police are bad, that the the job that we did taking streets off, taking guns off the streets. Uh, actually bringing down crime to historical lows, making sure that criminals were afraid to carry guns. The proliferation of guns is the result of the anti-police rhetoric and the, the idea that there is no consequences for criminals. And that's, that's the reality we face. They don't want to say it, but that's what it is. And it's time that they wake up because you know what? If they don't, Things are only going to get worse. You know, Mike, the very people that they depend on uh, 
to support these programs financially are going to be fleeing this city because they're not going to put up with the crime that's coming. The crime is here, but it's coming. More is coming because I heard even someone someone asked the mayor, uh, it was either today or yesterday, why don't you go back to stop, question, and frisk? And he denied that it ever went away. Like, oh, we still use stop, question, and frisk. We just don't use it illegally, you know. Um, I don't know uh, what he's referring to illegally, but there is a way to use stop, question, and frisk, but you need the support of the government. You need the support of the politicians. You need the support of the community because that is how to get guns off the street. Stop, question, and frisk. And we should never, ever allow the media to call it stop and frisk. They tried to hijack that term. And if you you hear someone in the media say, stop and frisk, stop them right there, backhand them across the side of the face and say, don't you ever say that again. It's stop, question, and frisk. They did that on purpose to try to demonize it. They tried to demonize the police police department. And, uh, you know, let's let's be real, though, right? There, There was a time where the New York City Police Department under uh, former administration, tried to use it as a police officer uh, documentation of numbers, right, for stats. You know, the problem is they created the issue, the the prior administration. And, you know, the problems became that, unfortunately, we let the media hijack that, where we let the media, like you said, say stop and frisk, you know, there are many times where you spoke to someone and you questioned them about what they were doing. And you know what? You you remember this when you're on a job. You stop someone that looked like they were doing something wrong. You questioned them. And then you went about your way. You said, all right, this is why I stopped you. And you walked away. But they never they don't highlight those things, right? They don't even think about the interaction that police can have with the community when it comes to that stop and question. But right away, they go to the automatic that, you know, you're frisking everybody. That's not always how it happens. You know, there, there has to be something there that rises to the level where you're going to frisk them. And that's a key component that the media never wanted to talk about. No, because it's to demonize the police is good for the media. They that's that, that's their narrative. Uh, even the whole defund the, the police movement, uh, the media was 100 percent behind that, you know, and a lot of people in this city uh, don't realize, you know, two years ago. They took up $1 billion from the NYPD's budget. $1 billion. People don't understand that. And it's paying dividends right now because cops are fleeing the job in droves. Yeah. You know, you look at it, right? there's no support. They're leaving the job. They're, they Again, Mike, you remember the old term of why you're playing pension roulette. I did almost 27 years on the job. People would say that to me. Why are you playing pension roulette? You know, you should do 20 and out. That's what people used to say. I said, look. I never got in trouble, and uh, I'm going to stay on the job as long as I, I still like the job. But in this day and age, I can understand when people say you play in pension roulette. Yeah, listen, I I love the job. I I, you know, that's all I ever wanted to do in life when I was a kid. You know, I was the first cop in my family. If I didn't get hurt, I would have. I probably wouldn't have retired. I could, but I could have been one of the last guys to do 43 years. I got on when I was 20. Uh, but if you told me 16 years ago when I retired that I'd be a volunteer at my kid's school, become a, a school board president for 10 years as a volunteer and then run for elected office, I would have said you were crazy because uh, it, I didn't see myself in this position. Uh, but you know what? I try and use my my experience, uh, the things that I learned on the street, the things that I learned on the job to try and 
influence uh, what's happening in Albany. And, you know, I bang my head against the wall every day. But I'm not going to stop because they need to hear it. They need to hear the reality of what they put on paper really doesn't help. And all it does is cause more confusion and more hatred for the police department. But, you know, Mike, one of the things that uh, is a cause celeb for me is um, the diaphragm law. I cannot believe that that, uh, you know, they appealed it, got reversed, and then they got back. They got it back. It's it's the law, the diaphragm law. So that was the the city council passed that. So that's a New York City law. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't imagine being able to fight with someone who has a firearm, an illegal firearm, and you're trying to cuff them, but you can't touch their chest. You can't touch their back. So what are we supposed to do, right, as police officers? You know, you know. unfortunately, when you're a criminal and you're involved with the police department, it's a contact sport. And we're giving the upper hand to the criminals. The city council has given the upper hand to the criminals. 100%, because there really is no way to get someone handcuffed that does not want to be cuffed without putting your knee into their back, controlling one of their hands, getting one of the cuffs on, and, you know, Look, there's, uh, I, I firmly believe these days every cop should learn jujitsu because it's, uh, that allows you to control someone better than we've ever learned before. But, you know, cops are not martial artists. Not all cops, as you know, are in shape. There's cops that are the double donut cops, you know, <laughs> double donut. You know, I, I, look, I stayed in shape my whole damn career because I was in the contact sport my whole career. Yeah. And I didn't want some 16-year-old jacked up on roids, being able to take out this 55-year-old, you know, as I was near when I retired, and I wanted to make sure I could handle myself, and I lifted weights, and I stayed in shape my whole career. Well, you know, that brings up an interesting point. Today's post, right, is talking about how they uh, took, they they lowered the standards uh, for physical fitness and the requirements uh, to pass uh, the academy, right? That's a whole story today in the news, and it's because of the exodus of the police department, they don't have they don't have enough people to backfill the amount that they project to lose. Uh, so what's the answer? The answer shouldn't be to lower the standards because that's how you're going to get police officers hurt and they're going to get their partners hurt. You know, Mike, some of the things, and look, I came on in 1985. What year did you come on? 1993. 93? Yep. Oh, you're a youngster. So yeah. I came on in, <laughs> I came on in 1985. And... Um, you know, crime was way worse back then than it is now, but the cops were great. You know, people wanted to be cops. Thousands and thousands of people took the test and they paid to take the test. Now it's free and no one's taking the test. They can't give the damn job away. Yep. And, you know, who do you think you're getting when you're giving the job away for free? Who Who's taking this job? You think people that really have a calling to be a police officer, which is what it is. You oh, think it, that's, most a, that's- it, most, it most certainly is a calling. You you hit the nail on the head, you know. And, you know, think about it. When we were in uniform, when we were police officers, you know, you didn't want someone that just took the job to have the job. You wanted to make sure that the person next to you uh, had the same passion for the work. And, you know, I was the first nine millimeter class in the NYPD. And, you know, my class was 2,300. You know, we were, we were hired under Dinkins. And when I graduated, that was under Giuliani. And uh, that's where, uh, you know, we started to actually take back uh, the city and reduce crime. You know, Times Square, Duffy Square, where I patrol, it was 
you know, you had prostitutes, you had drug dealing, heroin deals going on in the street. And, you know, eventually we cleaned it up and it went from having porns, porn shops on 42nd Street to Disney. You know, unfortunately, I think we're going backwards now. Yeah, you know, and the same people that are, that are able to open these businesses because it's safer are anti-police. You know, here we are, we protected them so that you could open up your business. The New York Times is a perfect example. New York Times is for defunding the police, except for everyone except them, because they want to be protected 24-7 by the police. Schmitty, thank you so much for the $10 super chat. I want to go to New York City for my 50th in 2023. I'm perplexed. I want to ride in a taxi for the first time, traverse the city. I know nothing about New York City. It makes me not want to go. Protect me, please. Smitty, I would say overall it's safe. If you take chances like, you know, walking across the deuce at midnight by yourself, I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, the deuce is 42nd Street, 7th to 8th. I forget I used that, that term because yes. I, I was in street crime and the deuce was, you know, used to say, oh, the deuce. And we just took for granted. Oh, everyone knows what the deuce is, you know. And yeah. back in the 19, I was in street crime in 1988. The deuce was a dangerous. We used to walk across the deuce and people would mess with us. But then they would find out who we were. But they would like, you know, they think that they were just we were some white boys from the subway, uh, from the suburbs, you know. Yep. And they would yeah. mess with us, and then they they would uh, find out that we weren't who they thought we were, you know. Yeah. But you yeah, know, the deuce was out of control. Oh, absolutely. And you know, not not only uh, not only the deuce, right? When I was when I got promoted to sergeant, I went to the six seven precinct in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, right? And I remember going there, and I didn't even know where the six seven was. And uh, you know, it, it. But then I, you know, I was there for four years. I was a crime sergeant. And I got to tell you, though, there were a lot of a lot of people there that, that liked the police and they wanted us there. You know, when I was in anti-crime for two years there, you know, we, we took a lot of guns off the street and the residents, they really liked it. You know, they enjoyed it, that we were there to protect them. You know, we had some good interactions. Uh, we we had a lot of uh, good relationships, but it was that that small percentage of gangbangers uh, that would ruin the neighborhood. And, you know, that's that's who they wanted us to target. They wanted us to make sure that we we, we kept them in check, you know, because you wanted to be able to walk on Church Avenue. You wanted to right? the Vanderveers were one of the, the privately held uh, uh, housing projects in uh, in the six, seven. Right. One of one of the places that we had on Foster in front of it was called the front page. The reason why it was called the front page is because it hit the daily news as a multiple homicide one day. And that's how it got its nickname. You know, when I was there, they cleaned it up where shootings were at the lowest level in the Vanderveers. Today, I think that's coming back. You know, one of the things, uh, and I thought about this before when you were talking about it, when we were talking, you you mentioned that stop question and frisk, the downfall of it, that it was used as an activity on someone's activity report. And you're right. And Bill Bratton has a book out uh, from years ago called Turnaround. And one of the things he said in that book, and I always remembered it because he was so right, was that once you've hit a certain level of crime reduction, you got to take your foot off the gas a little bit. You got to start doing other things like community policing, community, uh, community outreach, pulling back, uh, you know, community programs, youth programs. And he's 100% right, but they didn't take their foot off the gas pedal. And that's what resulted. No. In the you know bad what they feelings. did? They, 
they doubled down. And remember when we used to fill out our UF 250 reports, the stop question and frisk reports, remember we had a carbon copy originally and we had to write out and explain why we did what we did as police officers. They made it a checkbox form. And that's where we saw that the department got into trouble because that's how they started monitoring how much activity. So if you were a member of the anti-crime team, each police officer may have had to do, you know, 10 UF 250s a month. And, you know, that that's where we start to get into taking away the activity that the police were really targeting, right? Going after uh, people with guns, making sure that we targeted crime areas. But instead, we're talking to people and writing their name down and putting it on checkboxes. You know, that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that... Um... Everyone knows that, you know, we had that unit, street crime unit, which was uh, probably the best unit in the police department at getting guns off the street. And one of the, their uh, methodologies was to go to a high crime neighborhood to stay there for a month or two months and get the hell out of there. And that was that was strategic also. And then they would move to the next high crime area. But this day and age, you need the department and you need the police department and the politicians to back you because no one's going to go out there and toss people for guns. If they're going to be turned around and say, Oh, you violated his rights. Why would you do that? You know? Yeah. I mean, listen, they, they even target police officers saying that they they're violating their rights, even when they recover the steel, even when they get the illegal firearm. And even when the individual that they captured, that they, they arrested for having that illegal firearm had a firearm five times before. And we're let out. Yeah, no, I mean, the, I've been there. I was an anti-crime for six and a half years, three, three as a cop and three and a half as a sergeant. So, you know, I loved anti-crime to me was the greatest, greatest job on the police department. You know, yeah, it's almost that. like I'm getting paid to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. You know, I loved it. But uh, it doesn't exist anymore. What does that tell you? How about even, you know, we had that big shooting in transit where the guy shot 10 people. You know, how about plain clothes in the subway? How yeah. about how about you backed down to the criminals totally? The criminals were afraid of transit anti-crime. They feared them, as they should. But guess what? There's no more transit anti-crime. Yeah, because you know what? We took away all the deterrence. And instead, like I said, Al Albany and city legislators are empowering criminals. But, you know, Mike, one of the scary things is that um, the electorate, who are electing these people? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're electing these people who the guy you had the debate with. Who elects that guy? You know, like he doesn't even know what time it is. I wonder if he even has a watch. You know, it's like uh, <laughs> he's probably going to hear this and go, I've got lots of watches, you know. <laughs> but it, it's, it's really pathetic that the city, the greatest city in the world, is this is what they're letting it become. You know? Yeah. Well, we we need to we need to take back New York. We need to make sure that uh, we we put people in office that are going to have common sense. You know, right now there's no common sense. It, it's the the scales have tipped totally to the side of protecting criminals. And you know the 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 reasonableness for introducing legislation that could actually take illegal firearms off the streets is just falling on deaf ears. Is there any hope that the diaphragm law could be reversed? 
Well, that's going to take that's going to take the city council and, and the mayor to realize that, you know, this isn't this isn't helping. You know, this is going to get a, a police officer killed. And, you know, it's not only a police officer, but the civilians that are around when there's an interaction. That's what's really going to happen. And, you know, they're they're endangering the public with that legislation, with that. Absolutely. With that law. You know, folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. It's free to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. If you want to part with some Benjamins and uh, support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have, uh, you see the folks with the green font. They're part of our YouTube channel members. And we have five different levels of that. You can join our YouTube channel members. As with this show, we've I think we're probably over 700 episodes of this. And I know Mike had been on uh, a couple of years ago before the pandemic, right? As about yes. the pandemic was hitting when um, there was a grand idea that uh, uh, something called Inside Blue 360 that was going to be run by the Sergeant's Benevolent Association. And it uh, never totally came to fruition. It was a great idea. And we were hoping it did get off the ground because the idea was to give a voice to the cops, give a voice to the police department and let us challenge the press. When the press talks about and writes things that are outrageous, challenge the press say, no, that's not true. That this is what's true. You know, I mean, you could see even in this case in, um, in Parkland um, in, in Illinois, the press is really digging, 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 almost trying to point the finger at the police because the, the shooter had interactions with the police once where he was um, a suicidal and they went to the scene and it was handled by mental health professionals. And another time when he threatened his family with 12 or 15 knives and the police, which is their protocol there, referred the case to the state police, which was perfectly legit their jurisdiction but of course the press is trying to point the fingers at not just the local police but the state police oh if you did something this wouldn't have happened you know so the press are not always our friends for sure no and you know what and i speak about this often uh when i talk to uh to many people i talk about the press putting out stories and you got to remember they got a deadline to get things out whether it's uh, to print or whether it's to tv and they don't always have the facts you know, I remember being involved in cases and then watching the news or reading in the paper and going, that's not what happened. That's not the, that's not the facts. Uh, but you know what? Far too many people think that, you know, solving crimes and fighting crime is like a CBS series. You know, they think it's a TV show and everything's going to be solved in 40 minutes. And they don't realize that, you know, police work is really a profession. And we need to start treating our police officers like the professionals they are and, you know, day in and day out, but let's not forget that they're human. You know, we come with our flaws. We come with our issues. We come with our baggage with family and everything else that happens. Uh, but we, you know, we never get the benefit of the doubt. And that's, and that's the problem, you know, far too often they look at it and say, you know what, if a police officer makes a mistake, there's a difference between a mistake in the mind and a mistake in the heart. If the police officer's heart is in the right place and they make a mistake, everybody makes mistakes. It's when they make a mistake and they and it comes from the heart that we have a problem. And, you know, 
right away, the media paints us all with a broad brush. And they're looking at us as if we're all, you know, demonizing the community. That's not that's not accurate. And, you know, that's that's why we need people like you speaking up for us, talking about it, getting it out there, getting the true facts out there. You know, Mike, sometimes I get too emotional. I wish I could keep it a little lower key. <laughs> you know, talk a little bit more like a politician, but I'm not political, you know. Joe Murray, yeah. guys, if you're looking for a great attorney in the New York metropolitan area, Joe Murray is your guy. He's a retired member of the service, a police officer. And Joe is a fantastic defense attorney. He also ran for Queens District Attorney. He's always supporting all the candidates. In fact, he, I, know, I know he's had interactions with Mike here. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Joe, his cell phone number is 718-514-3855. You can email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. His website is jmurray-law.com. We highly recommend Joe Murray. He's a big friend of the show. And uh, I'm sure he's getting a lot of work through this commercial. <laughs> Joe's a good guy. I like him a he's lot. He's great. He he's is, also, he is. he's a former boxer too. So don't think you're going to mess with this guy, you know? Oh yeah. He was on the PBA boxing team back in the day. You know, folks, uh, Mike, uh, Mike is an assemblyman. He's here. If anyone in the chat has anything to ask Mike, uh, I'm looking for um, some questions. Uh, someone just wrote Frank Marshall, all those police are doing a great job in Highland Park. Uvalde, Texas, take a lesson from them on how to do things the right way. Frank Marsha. Anyone with any uh, questions? No questions, huh? <laughs> you know, Mike, I just, I just, um, I just, I'm, I'm amazed that you can do the job amongst the swamp that you are in, in Albany. And it's every day you must be banging heads with these people that just do not think the same way you do. So many of these people are just anti-police. So many of these people just don't see things the way you see them. And uh, I applaud you for going to work every day and doing this job. Thanks, Bill. I mean, listen, it, it, it takes work. Uh, but, you know, I'm passionate about making sure that, you know, they hear the real deal. You know, they hear about the, the circumstances that police officers deal with, uh, the everyday incidents that happen. Uh, not necessarily just about crime. You know, they don't hear about the, the incidents where police officers show empathy. They don't, they don't hear about the police officer who responds to a six-month-old baby that is not breathing, and they're on the third floor of a, of a building, and the police officer carries that baby down to a waiting EMS, giving them CPR. You know, they don't hear those stories. And, you know, that, that's why we need to make sure that we humanize police officers. You know, we make sure that they, they know that these are people that care about others, you know, and, you know, just because they're wearing that blue uniform doesn't make it that they're not human. And, and that's something that, you know, I, I won't give up. I won't give up talking about, uh, you know, I, I pride myself in trying not to be a politician. You know, I, I, I am what I am. That's it. What you what you see is what you get. Uh, I, I don't try and pull punches. You know, if I don't have the answer, I tell people I don't. And but I tell them I'll get back to you. I will try and find the answer for you. Yeah, I mean it's it's an amazing thing. I, I wish I just wish that um, more good guys like you would get elected and be able to uh, to butt heads because after all, you are you're a lawmaker, you're a legislator, and that's what uh, politicians are. And people lose sight of that. 
That, yeah, well, that's your job, well, making law. So true. And you know what? The problem with with uh, legislators and politicians today, they're more activists than they are legislators. And, and that's where we get into trouble, right? We need to have more legislators and not not advocates that are uh, spewing rhetoric, you know, and, and that, and, and that could be rhetoric from both sides of the aisle. Right. But, you know, we have to actually have conversations and, and that's the problem that I have in Albany far too often. We'll try and have conversations and they'll just shut us down. And that's, that's where we get into trouble because if we actually listen to each other, we might be able to get to a place where we could find common ground. Well, you know, Mike, we, we started out with this conversation talking about the Supreme Court, the open carry law. And one of the things that I find, and not even get talking about the open carry law, but talking about uh, how one, one side points at the gun as the evil instrument, and the other side points at the trigger puller, which to me is more accurate. If you don't have a trigger puller, you don't have a shooting, you know, because but they don't want to put the trigger puller in prison. So everything else they do to me is, is fraudulent. You're not arresting the guys that are doing the shootings and you're letting them out with this bail reform. Yeah. So how could I take you seriously about any other type of gun control when you refuse to lock up shooters? Yeah. You know, the, just with this legislation and this, this law that was passed uh regarding concealed carry with the answer to the Supreme Court's decision, right? The What they fail to realize is law-abiding citizens that get that concealed carry permit, they're going to make sure that they abide by the law because they don't want to lose their Second Amendment right to carry concealed firearms. You know, they're going to make sure that they don't break the law. It's the ones that have illegal firearms that are pulling the trigger. They don't care about laws. If they cared about laws, then they wouldn't commit these crimes. You know, that's why it's important that we have enforcement on these these criminals, you know. No, you're 100% correct, and that's that's part of the problem. And the, the, a word that I use and that, that they've used is called decarceral policies, which are policies about not incarcerating people as a penalty for committing crime. I mean, as low level as pettit larceny is, we've seen with these smash and grabs, it runs havoc on cities, destroys businesses, you know? It's just, that's why, you know, the whole broken windows theory of policing, in my opinion, is very important. But uh, the other side grabbed a hold of that and demonized that also. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one, one scenario, one situation that actually reminds me of that is when they decriminalized loitering for prostitution. Right. It used to be that, you know, you had police officers that were assigned to conditioned units that were inside, assigned to the vice unit. Right. And I, I was part of that unit in Midtown North where you made observations within a 20 minute period in a known prostitution location. Uh, someone approaching vehicles and approaching passerbys and you would lock them up for loitering for the purposes of prostitution. Uh, they actually made it where we can no longer the police department can no longer make those arrests. So. The problem was we had about 10, 12 locations throughout New York City that were known big hubs for prostitution, right? Now, with this law being taken away, they actually can be on any street in New York State, 
And they fail to realize that when you have that loitering for prostitution, it brings other crimes. You know, there were times where I was doing an, an operation and we were doing a, 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 a loitering for prostitution operation. And we came across a carjacking, right? A pickup carjacking arrest where we got into a, a pursuit, a vehicle pursuit. We got into a foot pursuit over it. And all because that area was known for prostitution, those people were there to commit a crime because they knew that there were going to be people there that probably wouldn't report it because they right. were doing something they didn't want to do. And it all goes back to what you said. It's the broken, broken windows theory. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the other thing that we lost that hurt the police department, hurt the public was uh, jumping the, thir the, the turnstile being a theft of service misdemeanor. Now it's a civil matter. And then, you know, you, do you lose search incidental to lawful arrest? You're not going to come up with those guns because you're not grabbing them, getting that free toss with the search incidental to lawful arrest where you're going to recover the firearms. Yeah. yeah. Another, another thing they did was with the marijuana law where the odor of marijuana doesn't give you permission to uh, assume that the person is under the influence, right? The odor of, of marijuana cannot be used to initiate a car stop. They've taken so many tools away from the police that uh, it just has hampered them in so many ways. And in addition, cell phone cameras has hampered police in so many different ways. It's amazing to me that people, and I don't know why they, that's allowed where people will actually videotape police and, and almost challenge them challenge them that they're doing the right thing that yeah, they're not bait them right but that should not be legal it really shouldn't be well that goes to what i was talking about earlier when i i spoke to the uh, assemblyman that was carrying a bill that passed into law about videoing police officers i tried to get that buffer zone ironically that was assemblyman perry and he was the assemblyman in the six seven precinct when i was a sergeant there and so I, I had a history of of knowing, uh, you know, what he was about, you know, what what policies he he didn't like. And I think that's why he basically just didn't care uh, about the videoing of police officers and creating a buffer zone. You know, a lot of them are, are uh, cop fighters and a lot of them are the defund the police crowd. You know, Mike, we're at an hour and six minutes. I'm going to give you uh, last words. You got any last words? Well, Bill, I, I want to thank you for having me on there. And I, I want all the police officers that are watching, all the, all the civilians that are watching that support the police, I want to thank you. And uh, remember that, you know, we need to back the blue. And, you know, we need to make sure that we, we hold those accountable uh, that commit crimes. Uh, because, you know, any one of our family members, uh, any one of our friends, our neighbors can be the victims of crime. And if we don't put good people in office, that are going to hold criminals accountable, then this, this city and this state are going to go down a deep, dark hole. Mike, you're 100% right. I just also want to say one thing. I really like um, the, the new police commissioner, Keychan Sewell. I think she's uh, I think she's got a hard job. Uh, she's put in, in a time where the department is in a lot of flux. There's the whole, the whole criminal justice system. But I think she's, uh, I had Patrick Ryder on the show, the Nassau County Police Commissioner. Uh, I had him on twice, and he speaks so highly of her. And uh, she's so confident. She's a good speaker. 
I just want to uh, give her a thumbs up. I don't, oh, always, I don't always agree with this mayor, that's for sure. Yeah, I got to tell you, with the police commissioner, she had me when at the beginning of the year when we had the two officers that were shot and killed and she was given a uh, a press conference at the hospital and she said she gave a little update about it and she said, I'm not taking any questions, but I'll take your prayers. You know, she was showing that she cared about police officers. She didn't care about, you know, talking to the media. We wanted to make sure that we took care of our own and that we actually took care of the case and made sure that we build the case to, to hold those accountable. 100%. Folks, I just want to thank everyone that listened tonight. I know we had a little bit of a sparse audience tonight because uh, we overlapped with Duty Ron, who grabbed every damn audience member from 50 miles around. <laughs> but that happens sometimes. Mike Riley, anytime you want to come on, just give me a call. Thank you so much. You're doing God's work in Albany. Maybe you can just, you know, do a diaphragm law on one of these politicians, yeah. knock them down and, and, and put the cuffs on them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> show them, show them what the diaphragm law is all about, you know? Absolutely. Bill, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Folks, have a great night and stay safe. One episode, just say enough.